Well, a very good morning to you all, and I hope that your new year has started well. I have a quiet nervousness about me this morning, primarily because when I speak in Africa, I'm given an interpreter, so when the interpreter's speaking, I can look at my notes, and I can pace myself totally different. So I've got my cheat notes with me today, but before I really say anything, I'm going to use quite a number of scriptures, which I would not normally do. So if any of you get lost, or a verse actually talks to you, and you can't remember what it is, come and see me afterwards. You know, for me, it's quite easy to come into a new church setting, put a smile on my face, maybe say a little bit about myself, and some of you have probably noticed I always sit in that chair over there, and I like to be quite a background character in truth. But I thought it might be wise, because you don't really know me, to share a little bit of my testimony today, and hopefully it will tie into today's message. Though I was born in the late 1950s, my childhood, my teenage years were spent growing up in the 1960s and the 70s in London. And it was a time of flower power, free love, skinheads, punk rockers, mods and rockers, and for an exceptionally introverted kid who didn't really want to be noticed, I started to develop the way of survival by really bluffing things. And by the time I got into my 20s, I'd started to learn that art quite well. And for those of you who remember the TV sitcom Only Fools and Horses, I guess my character is a milder version of Del Boy and Uncle Albert. <laughs> However, I promise you that I will not try to sell you any knocked-off goods, dodgy watches, or tell you any war stories. My gifting of being able to bluff things, I have to say, is not one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's see how I get on today. Ruth and I would really like to thank you for being part of a wonderful fellowship, and we've settled into church family life really quite well. When I was in Africa last year, Ruth would ring me and say, you know, I found this lovely church in Adelston. The people are really, really friendly. They're so welcoming, and I really like it. There'd be a little pause, and then she would say, I really hope you like it too. Being a man who's walked through a number of church doors and been part of a number of fellowships over the years, I have to say that my eyebrows were slightly raised. And I have to say also that my sense of humour kind of got the better of me. And my, book, uh, my mind raced to a book that I have on a bookcase, which is entitled The Bloke's Bible. And it's a good read for all you youngsters. But the author in the book lists the five top reasons why men in general do not go to church or avoid going to church. And they are listed as the sermons, the songs, the coffee, hugging people, and if the church has a dance group. <laughs> well, with my eyebrows firmly back in place, I can honestly say that I've really enjoyed all the sermons and songs. The coffees hits about 8 out of 10. 
No one apart from Florin has hugged me. <laughs> and to date, we don't have a dance group. So it looks like for Ruth and myself that we will be here for the next wee while. But you know, it's time to get serious. For many people, they get to the end of the year, don't they? And they heave a massive sigh of relief. And maybe if you're a Christian, your New Year's hope is that there'll be peace, fulfillment, some joy, and maybe even renewed faith. And as I shuffled with pen and paper, really wondering what to say, obviously the best place to start is asking for the Lord's wisdom. And I was tempted, I must admit, to play some pictures on the screen behind me and tell you of my African adventures over the last seven years. But as I was praying, I became consciously aware that God wanted me this morning to maybe share the Father's heart of, the Father's heart of God towards us. And I guess if I could place a title to this message, it would be Found by God. I want to start by saying that no matter how old you are, or indeed how old you are in your Christian faith, God, as our loving Heavenly Father, loves us as his children. You are known by God, and you are special in his sight. And whilst praying, I also sense that for some here this morning, it had been a hard year, a year of anxiousness, and there had been tears shed over the course of the year. And Psalm 56 is a beautiful psalm that God, as our Heavenly Father, cares about the tears that we shed. And verse 8 of the psalm says, List my tears on your scroll. Are they not on your record? And I guess a parallel verse that you could use in regards to shed tears comes from Psalm 126.5, which says, Those who sow their tears will reap with songs of joy. God's ability to restore life is beyond our understanding. And God as a father is more than able and willing to bring good out of tragedy, brokenness and sorrow. Therefore, our tears of sorrow can be restored to tears of joy. I want to try and place this message into two parts. Firstly, for many of us here today, our parents are no longer with us. And we may or may not have fond memories how our parents brought us up. Both my grandfather and my father were military men. My father, sorry, my grandfather was a soldier who served during the First World War. And my own father was a long-serving non-commissioned officer in the Royal Navy, with six of those years spent during the Second World War. My father was a good man, a really good man, and I loved him dearly. But the last 25 years of our life together became very strained for a variety of reasons. We lacked communication, and we did not gel really as a father and son should. And I, too, was a soldier. And as I reflected on these notes, I realised that there were many times in my life as a father that I failed my children. And as I got into my 30s, my 40s, and even my early 50s, I struggled with the concept of seeing God as my heavenly father. 
And at 57 years of age, I entered into Bible college for a three-year period. And my first year at college was very much being healed by the Lord. And one day after a heavy round of lectures, cleaning duties, tutorials and more lectures, I returned to my room to find a note by my door. And it was from one of the young ladies in my college and having notes left by your room was all part of college life. And in the note she said basically that she enjoyed me being in the tutor group and the encouragement I brought and I thought, well, that's quite sweet. But then came the part of the note which really kindly floored me. And it read, like King David, I believe you are a man after God's own heart. Well, whilst that sounds quite flattering, I have to confess that it angst me somewhat. And I sat on my bed and I really cried. And I thought, young lady, if only you knew who and what I've been in my lifetime, maybe you would not say that. However, this led me to do a personal reflection and study on King David himself. And I wanted to know about David's relationship with God. Did David have a father-to-son relationship? And as I read 1 and 2 Samuel, and a book by Archie Kendall called A Man After God's Own Heart, I found that David was a man who was a very sensitive man. David was a man with deep feelings. And David was a man who dared to bear his soul to God. And for me, I think this was one of David's inner strengths, that he dared to actually bear his very self, what was inside him, to God. I learned that God held David in great high esteem and that God confided with David. In other words, their communication was a two-way relationship. And the more I delved into David's story, his relationship with God, whilst I was encouraged to find that David had many strengths, I also found that his character was flawed. And as you read 1 and 2 Samuel, some of you will know the stories of him being the shepherd boy, the great slaying of the giant Goliath. But we also see the downside to David. We see his adultery with Bathsheba. We see his involvement in the murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's... uh, Sorry. Get this right in a minute. His wife. And we see David also committing treason against Israel when he joined forces with King Achish when he was being pursued by King Saul. But more strikingly for me, I discovered what a poor father David was to his children. I've always believed that God places characters in the Bible that we can relate to. And in many senses, the characters in the Bible can echo some of our lives. And whilst I knew a lot about David, he's not one of my favourite characters in the Bible, some of his life echoes my life. David was a man who was found by God. And by that I mean God knew him, God understood him, God understood the deepest aspects of his heart, and God loved David. And this morning, I can say with confidence that God loves each of us here this morning. 
I think one of the biggest problems that people have, and even Christians like myself, that we see God as a distant character. But David learned, as we must, how to cry out to God, especially when life overwhelms us, when we're lost, when there's times of trouble. And in many of the Psalms, we see David crying out to God. One of David's many, many prayers is Psalm 61, and it says, Hear my cry, O God. And as the psalm continues, it says, From the ends of the earth I will call to you. Lead me to the rock which is higher than I. You know, when I was a wee boy of three and four, I used to cry out in the night to my dad, Dad, are you still there? After four or five times, he would wearily come down the stairs, sit on the corner of my bed, ruffle my hair, back in the days when I had hair, that is, and say, yes, I'm still here. It's okay. Nothing's wrong. Go back to sleep. But it gave me the assurance, the assurance that in my world, my father had everything under control. And that's the same that God wants us to have that relationship with him, that we cry out to God, and it's okay to, for us to cry out, Lord, are you still there? You know, when I was in the Congo last year, having travelled for 24 hours, I was not only weary, but the only thing I could think about was dropping my bags off and going to find a nice, quiet pub where I could have a beer. And having dropped my bags off at Mama Janet's and her family's, I found this deserted bar. And behind it was a young lad called Gideon. And as soon as I had purchased my beer and he gave me the change, I knew that he had ripped me off. And I said to him, don't rip me off, but help me. And for two months, he taught me Swahili. But at the end of the time, when I was getting ready to fly to Kenya... I could see Gideon getting very, very withdrawn. And one day, I said to him, are you okay? And he said to me, you know, I come from a big, big family. I have 13 brothers and sisters. I've not seen my mother in three or four years. And with tears in his eyes, he says, will you be my daddy? And I'm quite a blasé sort of guy at times. And of course I said, yeah, no problem at all. But you know, the last six months we've built up father-to-son relationship. Ruth and I help him where we can. But he had the courage of just reaching out to somebody that he thought could love him and comfort him. And God wants us to reach out to him. You know, Psalm 139 is one of the most intimate psalms ever written by David. And I believe it's how David understood his relationship as a father to son. But the theme of the psalm is that God is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, and his greatest gift to us is to allow us to know him as a father. And whilst there's not enough time to uh, dissect the whole psalm, we see that God is intimate with all our ways. In other words, 
God sees our quirky habits, our peculiarities. God sees the character that he has formed in each of us. And God sees what makes us tick, what makes us laugh, what makes us cry. And the psalm reveals that God sees the start of our day and the end of our day. Do I really believe that God cares what I eat for breakfast, how we fellowship together in the morning? Yes, I certainly do. And I believe it is important to God how our day finishes. The psalm shows that God's hand is on our life and he protects us and he hems us in. And though there's not time to tell the stories, I have two times in my life where God has literally saved my life. And we can see in the psalm that we are created uniquely. God even watching as we are being developed in our mother's wombs. And that part of the psalm has always blown me away. The psalm reveals that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I have no problem looking in the mirror in the morning, but I'm kind of only joking about that. And whilst I've only been coming to ABC for a short time, I can honestly say that I enjoy seeing the beauty, the gifting, the creativeness in each of you. And I see the genius of your hearts. And if I can see that, then God certainly does. And we also see in the psalm that our days are ordained by God. I've always believed, even when I was a young man, that God has had a plan and a purpose for my life. And I believe that for each of you here today. And I believe that God, as a loving Father, will take each of us to his heavenly kingdom when our days are at an end. So you see, my dear brothers and sisters, you have been found by God. And you can run from God like Jonah did. But even Jonah found sanctuary and cried out to the Lord in the belly of the great fish. You cannot escape God. He loves us too much, and we should be greatly comforted by that. Over the last seven years, I have come to accept myself. To see my character is sometimes sinful and flawed. And I see that my character has good and bad aspects. I believe that one of the biggest challenges that we face as Christians is accepting ourselves for who we are. And one of my favourite verses in the Bible is from 1 Corinthians 10, 15, 10. And it says, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace to me was not without effect. And this was one of the Apostle Paul's biggest strengths. He knew and he understood what his past had been. He knew that his Damascus Road experience led him to Jesus. And his relationship with Jesus secured his standing with God as a father. You know, we sang this morning, didn't we? Abba, Father, and Jesus, take me as I am. And in the song, Abba, Father, the lyrics literally cry out, let me be yours and yours alone. And when we cry out to God, when we have our Bible studies, our personal Bible studies, when we sing, God's eyes are solely on you and me. And why did we sing, Jesus, take me as I am? I can come no other way. Simply because 
we can only come to Jesus literally as we are. Tarnished sometimes with sin and maybe even rottenness, but yet totally loved. And through Jesus' work on the cross, the shedding of his blood, we are made totally acceptable to God. When my son William was two, three years of age, he would walk around the house with a dirty bit of cloth and he used to call it his Nunu. Before bedtime, he would come onto my lap, he would stick his thumb into his mouth and lean his head onto my chest. And at some point, his nappy would get kind of squelchy and messy. But at that moment of father-to-son relationship, and I have to say, it's also father-to-daughter relationship. But for William, he knew that he was safe in his father's hands. And whatever was going on in his world at that point, it didn't really matter. And the father heart of God cries out to each of us, I don't care how messy you present yourself to me. You are special in my sight. I loved you. Come to me. And time and time again in the four Gospels, so moving on to the final part of this message, time and time again in the four Gospels, we see the birth of Christ. We are given an account of him as a 12-year-old boy. We see Jesus' ministry reaching out to the morally disgusting, the poor, the inexcusable, and the undeserving. And we see the healing power of God working through Christ as he heals the lame, the blind, the leper, the demon-possessed. But perhaps the most significant piece of scripture that captures us Jesus' heart towards us, revealing the very heart of Father God towards us in human flesh, is seen in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. And I'm sure that you all know it pretty well. But it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and lowly, in heart, and you will find rests for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. In the last years of world history, it has been unprecedented in many ways. A worldwide pandemic, an economic strain on many countries, even the richest. There are wars in the Africas, there is wars in Eastern Europe. And there's political corruption in many parts of the world. And in the midst of that, there is the persecuted church. And we see God's moral codes continually eroded, along with the normal strains of life, health issues, financial issues, to name but two. But in the midst of all this turmoil and strife comes Jesus' invite, come to me. And however last year left you physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus says, come to me, learn from me. My way is not tiresome or with a heavy burden. Jesus' way is never harsh or reactionary. And Jesus never gets exasperated with us. Jesus will never point the finger 
at us. He will always wait patiently for us to come to him. And when Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly, he is saying, my brother, my sister, my friend, I am accessible to you. In other words, Jesus is the most approachable person in the whole wide world. And like Father God, he will never turn any of us away. You know, sometimes in my Christian walk, I wondered whether I've really pushed God to the limit. But I've come to realize Jesus does not get frustrated or exasperated when I'm in need of forgiveness, when my life is difficult, or when I just say to the Lord, you know, Lord, today I just really can't be bothered. Jesus went down into the horrors of death and he plunged through the other side in order to supply us with a limitless supply of his mercy and grace. And Jesus gets more comfort and joy we can ever imagine when we come to him. And this is the Father heart of God. And when we come to Jesus for mercy, love, comfort, we are indeed going along with his deepest wishes for us, never against them. Jesus gives us the perfect picture, the complete picture of who God as a Father is to us. And as we come into this new year, let's unshackle all fears and doubts, all fears and doubts of who we are, what we are, what sins beset us. And let us leave last year to last year. Let's be a community of people who stand on the assurances of God the Father through our relationship with Christ Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Lord would give this final verse today and it's from Luke 12:32, and it says do not be afraid little flock for it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom let our witness be a light to our friends and family to this community shine the love of father God and extending his kingdom here on earth today the message is come to Jesus and the message for this year is, come to Jesus. Amen.